Hi, guys. Um, welcome back to Mindful Minds. I took a four-month break off, and um, I am back, and I have some episodes to share with you. Um, I also have an update, and I'm going to be so upfront with you, and I'm going to be more honest with you than I've been probably in the last three years. <laughs> um, I am re-recording this intro. I already recorded it. This episode is already uploaded um, to be published tomorrow. I'm recording this Thursday, 5 p.m. The episode is supposed to come out Friday at 6 a.m. And um, this intro is supposed to be <laughs> me announcing all of these really cool things for 2024, announcing that I'm scaling up everything. I'm doing weekly episodes. I'm doing a Patreon. I'm doing all these different things. And um I have decided to not do that. Um, I have tears in my eyes as I am saying this. I had to literally stop crying in order to come up here and record it. Um, I don't think it's right for me. And this is going to sound maybe flip-floppy, but I have pushed myself so hard over the past five years. And it has been a time of healing and healing and healing and healing to the point where I made healing a full-time job and I became more focused on how can I achieve healing than how can I actually rest and find joy and find happiness. And last night, my partner and I stayed up till like one in the morning um, talking about the podcast and TikTok and how I feel like it's just eating me alive. And um, we talked about it for like two hours and he just kept saying, if I was doing something that made me this exhausted, I would just stop. Like I would stop. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I want to give some context because I have so much love for this podcast. Um, it has quite literally changed my life. Um, every conversation I've had with guests has been so beneficial. I have had moments on the podcast where I learn things about myself in real time. And um, I, I can never thank people enough for listening. This was supposed to be something that I, I did. It, <laughs> like as a hobby. Um, and it was never supposed to be a deconstruction podcast. That was never the intention. That wasn't what I wanted it to be. And over the past year, um, I had a year and a half, I had a TikTok go viral and it was a deconstruction TikTok. And very quickly, I realized that in order for anything that I did creatively to succeed, it had to be in that corner of deconstruction content. And that was not what I wanted to be doing. Um, I have felt like in order to succeed in this space, I have had to put myself into this niche that I didn't actually want to be creating in. And it has felt stifling and exhausting. And I actually think it has stunted my healing more than it has progressed it. And the reason for that is because I have not been actively deciding whether or not I was going to be in religion since 2020. 
And it's been four years. And I felt like I have moved on from not deconstructing, because I think that there's so much ingrained in my brain from the years that I spent in organized religion that I think I'll always be deconstructing. But I do think that the deconstruction space is not a space that is really beneficial for me anymore. I feel like I've run out of things to say. I feel like when I make um, TikToks, I'm just making memes and I never set out to be a meme account. Um, and I felt like making and p- like pigeonholing myself in this area where I have to do deconstruction content in order to succeed, in order to get listens and views has put my put put me in a position where I have wanted to shut that door of my life and move on. And I have wanted to be more than the deconstruction girl. And the podcast and the TikTok have made it so that I can't do that. And I, this is the most split second decision, I swear to fucking God, because 15 minutes ago, I there was a different intro to this episode. And this episode was announcing all these really cool things for 2024. And that's not, I, I'm not, I'm literally, I'm not shitting you. I just posted the announcement on Instagram like an hour ago that I was going to be doing all these cool things in 2024. And I deleted it and I'm pulling it back. Um, because when I took my break, I took it because I was forced to take it. Um, I felt unsafe. I felt uncomfortable. Um, I had people being so cruel to me and, um, I, for the first time, saw it impact my mental health in a very tangible way. Um, I had people commenting things, and then I had me reacting to those. And if someone commented on my appearance, I then wanted to change my appearance. And it, for the first time, got really scary for me, where I felt like, oh, no, <laughs> this is this is impacting me in a different way than it's impacted me before. And when I took that break... I was expecting to revamp and, you know, have all this new cool content and decide to come back and be invigorated and refreshed and renewed and so excited to take on 2024. And in the past three weeks of prepping and editing and recording, I have realized that I'm not excited. Um, I'm just exhausted. And the idea of coming back is not bringing me joy. It's not something that I'm looking forward to. It's something that I'm dreading. And for a while, I justified that and thought, well, I can just make it work because this is good for my career. This is good for um, my marketing. It, it, It helps people. People are impacted by it. This is how I'm making an impact on the world. And as much as I so do not want to abandon you guys, because I know that this means a lot to a lot of people, I can't sacrifice myself and my own joy and rest for the sake of trying to help other people. I did that the entire time I was in religion. And I have realized over the past month that this is just a new religion for me. I have created the same habits and the same patterns, but I'm just doing it under the guise of like, well, now I'm the deconstruction girl instead of being the Christian girl. 
And um, I can't do that. I can't do it to myself. I owe myself so much more than that. I owe myself rest. I owe myself time to be away from this and process. Um, and it breaks my heart because I, f- I feel like it's a failure. And I know that it's not. I know that it's not. Um, but it feels like that. And so um, I am re-recording this. <laughs> Because this is now going to be a little bit of a different episode. This episode is still so fucking fantastic, first of all. Um, I don't want you to think that the episode is going to reflect. This episode was recorded months ago. It's still a fantastic episode. It was actually supposed to release before I took my break. And then I was very fearful that if I released it right after I was getting a lot of harassment, that REAP, which is an amazing organization, would face harassment due to this podcast because Christians were just hyper-focused on me and were being so cruel. And I was, I did not want to pass that on to Reap. So I contacted Aaron and said, hey, I think we should pull it and I think we should wait. And so this was an episode that was recorded a very long time ago. It's a fantastic episode. Reap does amazing work. And I have a month of amazing, amazing podcasts for you guys. Truly amazing podcasts. Um, but after that, I think I'm going to pause and I, I I can't express to you how much this is me thinking in real time. (laughs) Like this is not something that was planned. This is me sitting on my couch downstairs and Evian Whitney, um, who is a sensuality doula, um, posted on their Instagram that they were taking a break. And I read through their post and they explained that, um, they decided to take this break and they had taken a break before and they were thought they were going to be excited to come back and they weren't. And as I was reading it, I started crying and I was like, fuck. <laughs> and I have spent my entire childhood, my entire adolescence, not trusting my gut instinct and denying it and making sacrifices to try to like help others. And I actually was recording a TikTok to post saying I wasn't sure if I should take a break. And I said out loud, I mean, I think my gut instinct is telling me that I need to stop. And then I paused and I realized, oh, fuck, like I need to listen to that because I haven't listened to it and I've abandoned it for so long. And I am doing you guys no good if I come on here and I bullshit you and I talk about all these ways that I'm healing and I'm figuring things out while in the meantime, the way for me to heal is to get the fuck offline. Um. It breaks my heart. I'm looking literally at my vision board on my wall that says I want to hit 10 million likes and 50,000 followers on TikTok and 100,000 streams and all these goals that I had for this year. And I'm not saying that this podcast will never come back. This podcast means so, so, so much to me. And I, I am still so proud of myself for how I worked my ass off and I taught myself to audio engineer and I taught myself to market. I taught myself how to use all these different social media platforms and I figured it out and I did it on my own and I built this thing and I'm so proud of it. And I'm so proud of all of you for the ways that you've been honest and you've shared with me. But I I don't think it's going to be able to keep going in a healthy or sustainable way. And I don't think I will be able to be any use to you or help you or inspire you if I'm so exhausted that I'm just 
coming on and I'm lying and I'm bullshitting you. Like, I don't think that's going to be helpful to you. And I know it's not going to be helpful to me. And that is the priority right now is I need to make sure that I'm good. Um, and this has just drained me. And I don't mean that in a, in a way that it's supposed to be like a, you guys have drained me. I just, um, I didn't listen to myself when I probably needed to stop like six months ago. And now I'm, I'm, you know, facing the consequence of that. And I, I need to just listen to myself and take a break. And this was a 12 minute way of me saying that, um, we're going to go on a hiatus. So I have what, one, two, three, four, five, six episodes that I'm going to release in January, two of which were supposed to be Patreon episodes. And I'm just going to release them to you guys. And maybe in a year we'll pop back on and do it again and try to release the Patreon. But I, I just don't think releasing all of these, new, I, I think I was trying to release new things to mask the fact that I just didn't, I needed a break and I need like an indefinite break. Um, the one thing I will say I am going to, um, do is the religious trauma stickers. Um, because that's a different creative outlet for me that is fun and humorous and silly and creative. And it's not me hopping in like in front of a mic or in front of a camera. And there's an element of privacy to it. So if you were excited about the stickers, don't worry, I'm still going to release those. Um, because they mean a lot to me. I've, I've spent a lot of time on it and I, I think I just need the privacy back and it, releasing stickers is not invading my privacy. You know, I can still be private and heal and rest while doing the stickers. Um, and I'm not going to like commit to that answer. Like who knows, maybe I do the stickers for a few months and then I'm like, Ooh, this is really exhausting. And then I take a break, but I definitely want to get them out there. Cause I think they're fucking cool. And I think they're funny as shit. And I spent a lot of time on them and I love them. So I want to make sure that that still gets to you guys. Um, but other than that, I, I'm going to literally just dump all of the episodes I have backlogged on you this month. Um, which I think is six or seven. So there'll probably be a few weeks where we do double releases. I have some Instagram content that I'll pump out at you. And then, um, and then I'm going to, I'm going to take some time. Um, I have so many like butterflies and knots in my stomach. Cause I don't know if this is the right decision. And I, f I'm hoping it's not just like an impulsive panic thing on my end. But, um, like I said, we have spoken so much on this podcast about trusting yourself and learning how to listen to yourself. And I have not done that. And I have bullshitted you. And I need to, I need to not bullshit you. I need to just do what I need to do. And I think that means I need to take a break. So I love you. Um, thank you. And we're still going to have an, a January full of episodes, a January full of content. We'll start off the new year strong and then we will peace out. Um, please still listen to these episodes because the people in them spent so much time and spent so much effort and give so much amazing knowledge about the things we talk about. And I want to honor that because they are really valuable episodes. Um, and there's also still going to be a Facebook group. The Facebook group will still be open because that doesn't really take anything out of me to, to do that. So if you all still want to connect with each other, you can. You can still have that community. The Mindful Mind space can still be a community that is safe for you. 
Um, but I, as like the leader of that need to take time. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, prepare yourself for an ass ton of content in January. Cause I'm just going to throw it all at you. And then, and then I'll take some time. Um, anyways, here, uh, is our episode with Aaron from reap. Um, like I said, it's such a beneficial episode. I'm, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. It meant so much to me. Um, and I want to make sure that we're able to have that full conversation. And I also want to give you a quick trigger warning because what would mindful minds be without trigger warnings? So we do talk about homophobia, transphobia, self-hatred, discrimination, hate crimes, mental health, distress, addiction, suicide, counseling, abuse, emotional abuse, sexual assault and investigations, a brief talk about school shootings via Columbine, graphic description of suicide. And the timestamp for that is 102 to 107. Um, sorry for that like massive dump of trigger warnings right before we start the episode, but it is a heavy episode. Um, Anyways, thank you. I love you. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. So today is a little bit of a special episode, and I say that because we have talked for the last three years, two years, about my experience in a Christian university. So many of you have reached out about your experience in a Christian university and how awful it was. And today we have Aaron of REAP, um, which is an amazing organization that um, addresses all of the homophobia and discrimination that occurs in a lot of private Christian schools. Um, and so we have her on today to talk about all things discrimination <laughs> in Christian yep. colleges. That's right. Um, which, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. We were just talking for like a half an hour off camera <laughs> about how much I love REAP. But um, I'm so excited that we get to have this conversation. Me too. Thank you for inviting me. I feel really grateful to be here. Yeah, of course. Well, do you want to go a little bit into your background and what REAP is for people who have no idea? Sure. Yeah. I'll, um, <clears throat> maybe it helps to provide context for what I do for REAP and then I can talk about my background. So I'm currently the campus and alumni organizer for REAP. And REAP just stands for Religious Exemption Accountability Project. There always has to be some sort of acronym, right, nowadays. Um, and what we do essentially is protect queer, trans, and non-binary students at taxpayer-funded religious colleges across the country. And I have been doing that work for the last seven years, not with REAP, but in other contexts, in other ways. Um, and to provide like some background for that, I grew up in the evangelical church, like many of us did. Um, I was immersed into it without choice and became very attached to those ideologies and that kind of programming and asked Jesus to come into my heart when I was 12 years old, you know, that kind of thing. One little caveat, I was gay as a gourd. and really struggled for such a long time to reconcile being queer um, and non-binary with my faith, with all the things I was taught to believe about, you know, Christianity and those ideologies. It got pretty intense when I was 19 years old. I had my first relationship with a woman and that ended and I was I was, um, I, I didn't know what to do. I was just a baby, a baby queer. Um, 
I was pretty lost, had nowhere to go, couldn't go to the church, couldn't go to my family because they were non-affirming at the time. And so I went um, pretty hardcore into a life of drug and alcohol abuse for a couple of years that really uh, set me back, (laughs) set me back even further than I already was. But for me, that was the only way to kind of numb and get through the turmoil of not being able to like feel comfortable in my own skin or love myself. I had so much internalized homophobia, queer phobia, and there were, I did not know, I was not aware of any other solutions <laughs> beyond what I had found through, especially alcohol abuse. But I got through that, um, thankfully, and was able to, you know, realize that for me, that that was not a solution. That's not a viable solution to living my life and thriving and flourishing as a queer person who still had a faith belief. Something that was really important to me, um, because I worked right out of high school. I did not go to college. Later in life, when I came out as fully affirming, and um, I was in my early 30s, I decided to go back to school and go to a private Christian college because, not because um, I wanted to be in that like environment anymore. I had actually already been deconstructing like for quite a while, and what I wanted to do though was major in biblical studies because I know and I knew so many of us had so much religious trauma around being queer and all of the, you know, the clobber texts and things like that, all the things we've been told. I wanted to help in the healing process. So I, the only choice I had if I wanted to major in biblical studies was to go to a private Christian college. And I went to, excuse me, one of the worst ones of all, Biola University. But I chose Biola because they had a queer underground movement already happening on campus that was pretty profound. They were in the news. um, And it was it was a big um, community on campus. Well, when I got there and, um, you know, met with that community, they asked me to take over leadership of it. And I had no direct action organizing experience, community organizing experience, but I said yes. And I was like, let's just go do this and try it and see what happens. And um, yeah, I started leading protests and organizing and becoming an activist. And then I went to seminary and, you know, decided that this kind of activism, especially for queer, trans and non-binary students at religious colleges has to happen. Because these students are dying, A. B, they're getting expelled, kicked out, you know, and and left with, again, trauma, a lot of trauma. So that's sort of my background into, like, why I decided to get into this particular kind of activism at religious educational institutions. Because it's just not being addressed by anyone else, really, other than REAP. Yeah, I mean... It's one of those things where anytime I will post about the trauma that I experienced at a religious college and a religious high school and 
Also the education, I talk a lot about the education that I missed because these private schools are applauded for um, what they advertise as like superior education. Um, I like my Christian elementary, middle high school was all the same school and they were marketed as like an academy. It was supposed to be a college prep school. And because I went from a private Christian school to a private Christian college, and I had a two-year stint in a community college at a public community college, which like I received the best education I've ever had. I learned more (laughs) in two years than I had learned in 12. And um, because I went from private Christian to private Christian schools, it, it almost didn't feel like I was behind. Right. Because it was in the same realm of like shitty education. And then once I got out and started like realizing like stuff that I should have learned, I didn't know and stuff that I, um, really important things, things that are, um, in my opinion, greatly impact the direction of your life, greatly impact your job success, greatly impact your financial success. Um, and I would always feel so frustrated because I felt like I was really behind. And I yes. felt like I was behind because at first I just felt like I was behind because of my assault trauma. And I felt like this totally knocked my life off course. Like I, I missed out on having fun. I missed out on, um, even like the way that I'm able to keep a job was different when I was like in my early twenties, because it was like, I couldn't process trauma the same way. And I would get triggered and shut down. And so right. I felt really behind because of that. And it wasn't until like two years ago, I started unpacking how much I felt like I was behind because of my religious upbringing, where it was like, I didn't know what the electoral college was until I was 21. Like, wow, that's not okay. No. (laughs) Um, I didn't know uh, about the proper name for my body parts until I was in like 22. Um, I didn't know what consent was until I was 19. Um, And I had already been raped twice by then. Oh my God. Um, I didn't know like all these things that were like, it's, and I think that it can be talked about in a way that is very um, dismissive and it, it, it downplays the severity of it where we're not just talking about like, oops, it was a bad experience. It's like, no, we're talking about things that, um, the, the, the holistic view of it, it's impacting people's, like I said, job success, financial success, relationship success, marital success, mm-hmm. mental health. It, it, it risks suicide, their, um, predisposition to addiction, their predisposition to homelessness, like all these things. It's a really grave issue and it gets downplayed to kind of like, oh, you had kind of shitty, shitty education or you had a shitty experience or, you felt kind of alone or, you know, oh, your school was kind of discriminatory, like whatever. It's not that big of a deal. It's a very big deal. And there's all these things that compound on top of each other, not to mention the overarching emotional growth and maturity issues, because a lot of folks exit these Christian colleges, especially if they've also grown up in Christian high school, middle elementary school, where their whole life is in this bubble and you exit and your emotional and mental maturity is not where it should be and you're stunted and now you're having to catch up and learn all these things. And for me, the, the three years that I was in my college and then the two years after were the most mentally draining and exhausting period I've ever had in my life because Mm -hmm. I was processing the trauma. And then I was trying to unlearn all of it. 
and also just like learn what it was like to be a normal human that wasn't incredibly indoctrinated by all of this stuff. And so then you take all of that, which is already a horrific experience. It's so hard to deal with. It takes so long to unpack. And then you add the layer of being queer to it. And now you've got, now it times it by a hundred. Like now we've got a whole other thing going on. And so we, like my, my, my best friend Jubilee, which we've, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's good context for this episode. Um, we've talked about like their experience and how much it fucked them up and yeah. set them up for so much trauma and mental distress and self-hatred and self-esteem issues. Like all these things that, that really greatly, and also like scientifically, if you literally go and look at psychological studies, like having your self-esteem just broken down over and over and over again, having people tell you that they are, cause you're already told that you're worthless in, in evangelicalism. You're already told you're broken and you're nothing and you're this. But then if you're queer, you're also told that you're evil and you're a mistake and that there's all these added elements to it. And so it's so much more serious than people think. And it yeah. is so much more um, holistically harmful. I think people can view it as like a, Oh, it just harmed one aspect. No, it harms your whole holistic being and your in your human experience walking through life. And that gets really underestimated. And so when I first started doing a lot of this, like unlearning and talking about it publicly, and I found you guys, it was like, oh my God, people are talking about it. Because yeah. none of us had any idea even like why they were allowed to discriminate in the way they were and like the like the legal side of it and how that worked and like what our rights were and what like we didn't know any of that sure. and so none of us knew that especially when you're raised in evangelicalism and you're taught that authority is authority none of us knew like where we were allowed to set boundaries where we weren't even in my assault investigation, there are things that if I had, if I did it all over again and I went to that investigation again, there are questions that I would have said, I'm not answering that. Right. You don't have the right to know that about my life. This Absolutely. is not a part of the investigation. Like there were, there are things that I would have totally changed the way that I had approached it. But I was an 18 year old kid who'd grown up in an environment where if there is a Christian man telling me to do something, I'm supposed to fucking do it. <laughs> you're supposed to do it. And yes. so it's a, it's a really weird mind fuck. It is. And like, you're talking about like, there's, there's so many elements to the things that you're saying that are so important. Like, yes. So we reap focuses on like a sp- specifically academic education, you know, in higher ed, but however, you're talking about something that stems and starts way before that, way before that even occurs, right? In the most formative years of your life, as a child, growing up into adolescence, like you said, learning how you're supposed to function in the world. And then, you know, going like a lot of my friends too are homeschooled um, and went through religious education growing up. And then they get plopped into some Christian university through no fault of their own. Um, because, you know, it's sometimes often it's the only education that a parent will pay for. Yeah. But mine was, I was told that I wouldn't survive in a public college. 
I was yeah, told that, that I wouldn't be able to handle it. So private colleges were really my, my only perceived option. Right. So you're, you're set back, like you said, um, from a very early time on. And then, yeah, let's say hypothetically you, you get to a Christian college or you're a prospective student. Would you even know to look and see if that school has a Title IX religious exemption? If they even protect certain categories against discrimination from happening on their campus? No, you would have no idea to look for those things because like you said, you have to trust white Christian men and what they say from the pulpit and from the lecture hall. Um, that is, that is your barometer. That is your compass, if you will. Um, a very unhealthy one, you know, and toxic one, as we both know and as many of us know. So yeah, you're, you, like you said, you're kind of fucked, right? Um, by the time you get into a Christian college, so there's multiple layers of tearing all that down. Once you've realized this was awful, this was wrong, this was bad, tearing it down. And then at the same time, dealing with the trauma, dealing with the pain, dealing with the, you know, and then trying to figure out, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Like for me, I, when I was in my early twenties, you know, like I wasn't at a Christian college or whatever, but I had no idea how intimate relationships functioned because I had no context for queer functioning relationships with people. I had no idea how that was supposed to work um, because the only, the only vision that I had for relationships were heterosexual partnerships and you know, whatever's normative. So yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of harm that, that happens in this process. And then even the American Psychological Association states very clearly that just being in a non-affirming environment with language alone that is non-affirming increases for a queer person specifically the propensity to have substance abuse, suicidal ideation, um, trauma, isolation, all those things. So we're set up for failure. We're basically set up for failure. And I went into a religious college setting, kind of already starting that process of realizing that I was in that space and that it was harmful. And I intentionally put myself in that space because I knew I needed to learn Greek and Hebrew and all those things. If I was going to help undo the narrative, the toxic narratives that we were being taught about the Bible and about faith and spirituality. So I knew I was going into a dangerous situation, but for a, just a regular student, that is usually not the case. Like you said, your experience, you had no idea what you were getting into, you know? Right. And I think the thing that's so tricky too, there's a few things that are tricky because holistically looking at like the holistic lens of it again, after you get out, you've got the trauma to deal with. You've got the unlearning. And for some people, there is an unlearning. They just keep living their lives the same way. And that's a whole other battle. Um, there's also the financial burden 
of these private schools are horrifically expensive. Um, For me, because I grew up in a private Christian school, I was never taught about finances or economics or financial literacy. I also came from a first gen home. So I was never, no one in my family had experience of like, what do student loans do to you financially? Like, how does this work? And have now had to uh, bear the burden of $100,000 in student loan debt because of a college that I went to where I received a little to no education and got so much fucking PTSD that I have now had to also pay for all of the therapy and medications and trauma support that has come after. Mm. And then you've got the additional aspects of like, I love um, talking about the fact that things weren't modeled, right? Because I had, because my whole life was a bubble and I know so many folks relate to this when you're able to like step out for the first time after you graduate college and you're 23, 24, whatever. Um, I did not know that my life was so codependent. I did not know that it was abnormal to have so many random fucking people have opinions on my life and telling me what to do as a full grown adult. Yeah. I did not know that that was bizarre. I didn't know it was weird to have everyone still have such a hand in my life at an age where most people don't have that. And I actually just went full rogue. And I was, I went from being, um, the Christian college that I went to has a policy where you are, you basically get forced to go in the dorms all four years. Okay. Um, so they will let you apply for off campus housing, but it's really hard to get that. We also were in an area where off campus housing was really expensive And so they kind of purposely would like the dorms were cheaper a little bit, but like they also weren't at the same time because if you're in the dorms, they would force you to be on a meal plan. And so you had to be in the dorms and then there were campus apartments, but they were so competitive that it was really hard to get them. And they would give them to, there was like a seniority thing where it was like a, um, depending on how old you were, your actual physical age, like that impacted it, depending on what grade you were in, like what year of school you were in, depending what? on, I think GPA played into it as well. And so there was a really significant application process. It was really difficult to like get it. I got an apartment yeah. once for one summer and then that was it. But all, all three years I was in the dorms and in the dorms, I mean, I'm 21 and I have people, my RA like telling me I can't shut my door when my boyfriend's in my room. Right. Like it was like, it was bizarre. And so yeah. that I didn't know that was weird <laughs> until right, I like, right, right. got out and I was like, this is fucking bizarre. <laughs> and so when yeah. I left, I spent six months at my parents' house when I graduated. And then I moved and went, I, I literally moved to a new city, got an apartment by myself. And I was like, all right, we're fucking learning how to do this. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. And the other part of that as well was because I, uh, that college years are so formative for like being able to normally unpack what your parents taught you and figure out who you are as an individual and make those mistakes and learn and figure all that out. Yeah. And because this was just a mirrored environment of how I grew up in my parents' household, I didn't really get to do that. Um, And I got to a little bit my senior year because I had kind of done a big fuck you to the religious side of things and was really over it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
but I got into an abusive relationship, um, what a month into my freshman year and then was assaulted and then broke up with that person and then got into another abusive relationship. And I had never been taught how to look for healthy relationships because there's no modeling for queer relationships. And there's also no modeling for, um, healthy relationships, like trying to actually find a partner that's healthy and emotionally mature and intelligent. All the, the checklist is, are they a Christian? (laughs) If the answer is yes, congratulations, you found your husband. (laughs) And so I dated worship leaders and I was like, okay, well, this must be the person. Yeah. And there was a whole other side of this where like, I, I had to completely learn how to be functional in interpersonal relationships, learn how to not be such an arrogant dick because that was how I was taught to be. And that was a whole unlearning process. Um, and there's also the whole aspect of, I mean, I, I, it was my years at, at my Christian college were truly the worst years of my life, but I was going through so much shit. I was processing so much trauma and there was no resources. There were no, no support. Um, we had a wellness center on campus that gave therapy, um, free therapy, therapy and in massive highlighted neon quotes, um, it was actually just Christian counseling. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, was it controlled? Was it yes. like, so it was yeah, Christian counseling scary. from undergrads, undergrad, um, like master students. Oh no. So not even licensed. Okay. <laughs> they were practicing on us and granted, like, I know that that happens in a lot of call in a lot of college experiences. Does, yeah. In my opinion, um, I don't know. This is maybe just like my ethical qualm with this. I don't know. Don't practice on fucking 19 year olds who are like in some of the most formative years of their life. Like, I think that's maybe not the time to practice. I don't know. I know, right? Um, but the way that they would do it is it was in the wellness center. And here's where it gets really tricky and also really scary. Uh, there, there's some weird, like legal ethical shit because they could film us and say it was for practice training and teaching purposes. Oh, wow. And all of our therapy records were housed at the school. Okay. Which could discriminate against you if they found out you were having sex, drinking alcohol, or you were gay. Yeah. So you don't actually have a safe space, but it's this space that is masqueraded as a safe space. Um, I had a situation with a therapist, um, I only did it my freshman year because it was free therapy. And I was like, I literally had been raped a year into or a month into my freshman year. And I was like, okay, well I'll try to get some help, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But they were not licensed to prescribe medication. So that's a whole other, like they they didn't have resources. There was no psychiatrist um, in the therapy center. So like the therapy was very inundated with religion and Bible verses and yada, yada, yada. So there weren't a lot of actual practical applications. And simultaneously, I had a therapist who was a male therapist who funny enough had the same name as my rapist, which is like a whole other mind. Oh, Jesus. And oh. I got in my therapy session and started talking about the fact that I had gone through this assault and he was like, okay, can you tell me like what exactly happened? And I was like, I don't really feel super comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I need you to tell me exactly what happened or else I can't help you. And I said, you need to know the details of like, my assault in order to help. And he was like, yeah, I need to know like everything that happened. And so I gave a really vague description 
And he was like, no, I need to know like what details, like what did he touch and starts getting like real specific. Uh And because again, I had never been taught how to set boundaries. Um, I had never been taught ethics (laughs) in like any form. I was like, is this what this is supposed to be like? And I kind of reluctantly gave an answer. And then luckily I had a gut instinct that I listened to and that was my last therapy session with him because I just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, which to be honest, I think the only reason I even had that gut instinct is because I was born a woman and I think it's almost ingrained into our souls to be suspicious of people yes. because of how it is to live life as a woman. Yes. Um, and so I was hesitant, but there are so many layers of like really ethical murky shit that happens oh. in Christian schools that everyone else anytime i talk about it online about the fact that i went to a private christian college the first response is like oh you're 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 being ungrateful for your really good education like how sad for you that you got better education than the rest of us no. and there's this yeah. instant like there's a really significant misunderstanding about how these institutions work um and yeah. with that being said do you want to go into a little bit of i guess the legal jargon because why are schools allowed to do this type of shit? Like, why are they allowed to discriminate in these types of ways? Why are they not held to the same standards as public schools? Or are they and they're just getting away with it? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, disclaimer, I'm not a legal expert. And there is a side of REAP that does litigation, that does handle the legal pieces of this whole this whole beast that we're talking about, right? Because we've acknowledged how problematic these educational spaces are for everybody. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a legal expert and I can't like speak to necessarily those things, but I can say that the government, very simply, the government allows them to. The reason why these schools get away with what they do is because the government says it's okay. And that's pretty wild because a lot of people don't know that you, you and I, are funding these schools and we're funding this pipeline of discrimination because they get public money. They get taxpayer money, even though they're private religious educational institutions, they get taxpayer money, which is again, like the, the big question is, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Right. It's wild. But it's true. And the only thing I can say is like, I'm just as like perplexed by it as everybody else is. But the gov- it's very simple. The government allows it to happen because of religious freedom. And, you know, they, the, since they're private institutions, they get to function differently than a secular um, educational institution would. So that's, that's basically why it, it happens. And a lot of people up until now, I think more and more are, they're starting to realize this, that maybe they should give a shit because they're funding it. You know, your money, your money goes towards this pipeline of discrimination, whether you like it or not, that's just reality. Um, and then the things that you talked about were so important, like how this educational pipeline from evangelical Christianity 
ruins people's lives, Mm -hmm. but it's a tactic on even, you know, white Christian nationalism's part, basically to keep funneling in this, these ideologies into the, the system that we live in, into systems that we live in. So systems like, um, government, judges, politicians. So where do we get those people from? We get them, especially if they're white Christian nationalists, they're coming from religious educational institutions. Yeah. So that's why we should be paying attention. Like if, if we're, you know, a lot of people point their finger at the churches for good reason. And I do too. But I think we also need to look at religious education in America and ask ourselves, what the fuck is going on here? Because it's like, it's infiltrated. Um, this, you know, it's, it's perpetuated racism, queer phobia, transphobia, all these things um, in our nation, in our ideologies, our ways of thinking. And then on top of it, like you said, we're set back developmentally yeah, <laughs> as well. So it's, and it, it it's just so problematic, but I mean, like you were saying, the evangelical system to me functions on sin management. Hmm. There is no other, it has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It doesn't have anything to do with love or any of those things that we think it's about. No, it's about exactly what you were talking about earlier. It's about control. It's about sin management. It's about managing every aspect of your life and you conforming to an obedience and mm-hmm. submission to every, every piece of those, you know, part of that in order for you to be acceptable, worthy, and loved by God, which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. We know that that's bullshit, but that's how they get us. That's how they get us to like, think that this is how the world works. You know, this is how faith and spirituality work. Why doesn't everybody else think like me? And you and I are like, are you kidding? (laughs) No, like this stuff is, is so it's all, it's, it's so weird because like, I feel like everything that evangelicalism teaches not to do, they themselves are the epitome of doing all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's and so clear. That, yeah. No, it is. And I think the thing that's, this is going to sound dark and it's going to sound morbid and there's probably going to be some people that get pissed because they always do, <laughs> but it's, it's so incredibly, um, culty is really the only it's word a cult. It that is I a cult. can come up with. Um, and specifically, and when you look at it from a more, um, detached lens, I guess, of like taking away the, like the, the faith aspect of things and like the love and the, this and the, that, if you look at the actual like organizational structure of it and totally take away like the emotions and the feelings and the community yeah. and this and the, that, cause that part of it, I don't think, I, I think it in its purest form can be really healthy for people to have the community and the have feel like they have a purpose and have something to believe in. And there are lots of psychological studies that have shown that 
that can really help. Hope is powerful and that can help people's mental states and their ability to function in a very shitty world sometimes. Um, However, like when you take away that part of it and you just look at the organizational structure of it, um, and I think shiny, happy people does a fantastic job of this because they really hone in on like, hey, let's talk about what they're actually doing and let's look at it almost as more of like a a government like um i don't know kind of like a a plan to overtake the world yes <laughs> yeah that sounds so like big and like grandiose and kind of silly but like if you think about it it's not about faith it is about no. like how can we get as many people educated in our institutions and keep them in this little bubble, um, teach them in their most formative times, in their most formative years. And that's not just like a saying. It's like, no, their brain is quite literally developing and we're teaching them this bullshit in that time. Yeah. How can we get as many people to submit to this same ideology? How can we get as many women to submit to this ideology and just become puppets? How can right. we get as many men to submit and become these all powerful dictators of their homes and then of schools, companies, um, governmental positions, politics. Yes. Like how do we do this in a way? And of course the the best way to do that would be through education because you have, uh, yep. like you are, your teacher is spending more time with your children than you are. Your teacher you is spending more time it. with your kids. And so yeah. who's parenting them? It's the fucking teachers. Like the teachers are, and I'm, and this is not to like shit on the teachers, but like just from a time perspective, if you're looking at this as like a very intense, um, and you look at it kind of in like a nihilistic way a little bit, and you're looking at it as a strategy, yeah. it is a really smart strategy to have the place where children spend their most time in their most formative years be the thing that is funneling this bullshit into them. And then to have a perfect little pipeline to where they can go after as baby adults, where maybe they would start to unpack some of that stuff. Oh, nope, we're not going to unpack it. We're going to drill it right back into them in these other formative years. And then we set them up as perfect little soldiers to go into adulthood. And yes, that sounds very like gloomy and like, ooh, Fina's a conspiracy (laughs) theorist, but like, it's smart. And that's the thing that I have never, I've never shit on the, the intelligence of the, of, of the big picture plan here Yeah, because it's a smart fucking plan. Same thing with like the marketing of mega churches. It's genius. It's it not is. bad marketing. It's, it's fantastic. It's genius. Is it ethical? Absolutely fucking not, Right, but it's smart. And I think when we try to, I think it's a really dangerous thing to start acting. I get so many comments of like, oh, these pastors are so stupid. And it's like, "Eh, I don't actually think that's the right word for it. Cause I think there's a lot of intention Mm -hmm. here. And I think it's, there's a lot of planning, (laughs) a lot of strategy. And it's obviously fucking working because Trump got elected as president. So like, let's not act like it's not working. And I think the second we start to act like it's just this silly, goofy, oh, this is so stupid. No one's going to believe this. No, no, no. There are a lot of people who not only believe this, but would die for it. And that's scary as hell. All right. For those of you who've been here for a bit, you've heard me talk about my pup, Stevie Ray. When Stevie was a puppy, she had some undiagnosed food allergies that resulted in her being super itchy. 
Luckily, we found Scout's Honor. Scout's Honor's products are probiotic and are lifesavers for pups with sensitive skin, who are prone to itchiness, or if you just want your pup to have the softest forever. We exclusively use Scout's Honor and have for the past two and a half years. We love their unscented shampoo and conditioner and their probiotic paw spray, which is amazing for Frito Toe pups. On top of their amazing products, with every bottle bought, they provide a meal for an animal in need. If you have a pet, I would highly encourage looking into Scout's Honor. And listeners of the podcast can use the code MINDFULMINDS for 20% off of a purchase of $50 or more. Again, that's code MINDFULMINDS for top-notch doggy grooming. I have been asked from so many people, how did you start your podcast? The answer is simple, Buzzsprout. I had no production experience when I started the show, and I used Buzzsprout's blog and website to teach myself how to get started. Buzzsprout not only lists your show on all major streaming platforms, but you also get access to a website, audio players, and custom sound bites. If you are looking to launch your dream podcast or you're looking for a new platform, Buzzsprout is the way to go. You can follow the link in our show notes to receive a $20 credit towards your membership, and you will be supporting our show. Happy podcasting! And they think they have to do that. They, they that's they part to, of their yes. yeah. That's part of their whole thing is like, and and I've I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen some of these like you know radical evangelical right leaning you know MAGA people say like I will die for my country and my God and all that crap. Twelve year old Fina was saying that yeah, because I, I got too. fed the bullshit about Columbine, <laughs> so I was like. Someone's right. going to come in and shoot up my school and I need to be ready to profess my love for Jesus, which I did a whole thing on that on TikTok about Columbine. And it is, it is, I didn't find out that the Columbine thing was not um, historically accurate until I shit you not two months ago. And I was like, wow. I was with my, my point, my partner who grew up Mormon and Mormonism does not have half as much of this, like they, they're, they've got a lot of problematic stuff, but there's not the same level of just like, like lying no it's different it's different there's not so much just like blatant like lies that they just come up with and stick to like the the weird rib thing like all like he thinks all that is so wild so we were sitting there and i saw a tiktok from um emily um which she's a really funny creator that does a lot of like tiktok and autism content or a deconstruction and autism content and she was talking about columbine and i was like i was sitting on the couch next to him and i looked at him and i said Babe, was Columbine not a target against Christians? And he said, I'm sorry, what? Wow. And I said, Columbine. Columbine was targeted against Christians, right? And he goes, he like paused the TV and was like, where did you hear that? Like, where did that come from? And I said, no, no, no wait, they walked through the school and they asked every single person if they were Christian. And if they were, they shot them. And he said, that did, that absolutely did not happen. Right. So then we went down this whole rabbit hole of like Googling and like, and I was just, my mind was blown. And I think there's this, there's this expectation Um, and it also proves once again to the strength of this campaign, because I have been out of religion for three years yeah, and I was indoctrinated with this lie at age probably like nine. And because so much of my childhood was just lies, you don't, you, you obviously try to unpack everything, but there are some things that are kind of going to get left behind because you just don't have enough time or awareness to think, uh, like to question it. I've been out for three years and I still had this lie in my head that I thought was a complete truth. Yeah. That I would have never thought to question. That's how successful this is. That's how well done this whole indoctrination campaign is. 
is that I've been out for three years and the last three years I've been unlearning and unpacking everything. And there's still shit that has stuck behind and lingered that I didn't even realize was untrue. Right. It's, it's sort of, it, it, maybe it even hasn't been resurfaced yet for you. Yeah. You know, for me too. I mean, I, I have similar things, you know, that have happened and yeah, I think you're right. It's just this like, I, I don't want to be all conspiracy theory like type thing, but it is something serious that we should look at because like you said, you know, the MAGA era, like Trump and all that stuff, like, and we were talking about this before we recorded, it really cracked open something in our society that gave people, especially a certain kind of folks in America, mm-hmm. permission to be the racist assholes that they are. And queerphobic, transphobic people, it gave them this public permission to, to start living that out, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and instead of like not having awareness over it or, or being private about it, it. take that, that's such a great way to put it, to take pride in being and discriminating against Mm -hmm. Everybody under the sun, except for white, cisgender, heterosexual folks. So, yeah, I think I think you're bringing up really important things that that we need to think about, especially because a lot of these people are in positions of power. Mm -hmm. They're in positions of power. And how do we subvert that power? We subvert it by supporting organizations like what I'm doing, you know, because we're the ones calling out like, Hey, this is what's happening. But I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it's pretty wild to think about. That's how deeply entrenched I think American, I would say American Christianity or Western Christianity has become in and removing for the individual, for humanity, your and my autonomy, mm-hmm. our ability to enjoy and love life, love each other, flourish, thrive, all those things. Christianity doesn't want you to have any of that. They don't want you to have, you know, they don't want you to be queer and happy. They don't want you to be, you know, they want to strip humanity because, like you said, our job, if you're a Christian, your job is to suffer for Christ. Mm-hmm. That is your job. Not to, not to love being a human, not to love creation, not to, you know, recognize the injustices that occur as a result of micromanaging everybody's lives. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And with that being said, like, do you want to go into how that, how that harms queer people? Because yes, of course it, it first, I mean, it's going to just bring down your overall quality of life, to be totally honest, just, just the being told constantly that you're not, you're not enough. You're not this, you're evil, you're sinful, you're yada, yada, because it's, it's, it's so dangerous. But do you want to go into just some of the mental health impacts that that might have, some of the like holistic impacts that might have, um, even the whole like hate the sin, love the sinner, like how that fucks people up so badly. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should, because I think it's important to recognize 
that those are the, you know, these tactics on the part of Christianity and um, under that like vast bigger umbrella of white Christian nationalism, which is what I, you know, I talk a lot about in the activism work that I do. Um, this is detrimental to queer people's lives. Um, and, and I do have to bring up that I think it's an important thing that we kind of mentioned earlier. A lot of these students, especially at religious colleges, if they're queer, they get blamed for going there. And that pisses me off more than anything. Yep. Um, the question I get the most from everybody who is like, well, I might support your work, but why, if, if it's so abusive and so harmful, why is that LGBTQ person going to that school? Well, my response is you're asking the wrong question hmm. because first of all, queer people will always exist in religious spaces, whether we like it or not, they will always be there. Um, and they have a right to exist in those spaces if they choose to. Right. And if they choose to exit them, they're allowed to exit them as well. But when you're in those key developmental stages in your life, like 18 to 24, maybe 17 to 25, you might not even realize you're queer until you're in yeah. college. Yep. You know, you're there and and then what what the hell do you do? Your family's not affirming. Your school's not affirming. Your friends are not affirming. Everything is working against you, but you're queer or trans or non-binary, whatever, and you have nowhere to go. Right. You can't go, we already talked about school counseling. Can't right. do that because that's a guise now for conversion therapy. Yep. They're not, they're not blatantly calling it conversion therapy anymore. They're calling it Christian counseling. They're calling, yep. they're using those kinds of conversations and those methods to, to, um, start that conversion therapy process. Um, yep. you can't go to, you can't go there. If you tell well, your parents, you can't, you can't transfer out. Cause I've heard so many people say, well, why don't you transfer out? Yep. The thing that people don't get is Transferring from a Christian college to a public college, um, you lose an enormous amount of money. And credits. And and credits. Because your Bible credits that you are forced to take as a requirement and as a prereq in Christian colleges often do not transfer to public colleges. And so let's say you try to transfer as a junior and you're already in program, you've already chosen your major, you're taking your classes that are no longer prereqs. Yeah. If you try to transfer to a public college as a junior, you will get you'll get pushed back to being a sophomore because you now have prereqs to complete that you didn't have to take at the private Christian college because they counted Bible and theology and um chapel <laughs> as prereqs yep. and as credits, which those don't count in the same way that they, they're not, you might get some of them back, but they're not going to be equal. They won't just transfer in an equal right. way. And if you are in a financial situation where you cannot afford to transfer, especially if your Christian family is helping back your finances for going to this school, transferring is almost always out of the question. You you got it. You're absolutely right. Cause that is the next step for those people asking those questions. Is, <laughs> Why don't you well, transfer? <laughs> just transfer. Yeah. yeah. And you, you brought up all the valid point. Actually, I transferred from Biola to Azusa Pacific because of the, well, 
Azusa Pacific was slightly less cringy than Biola, but, but you're right. So it set me back by a year. So that means that you're paying another year of tuition for those classes. You're, you're prolonging your graduation time. You're, you're, I mean, let alone the financial upheaval you would have to go through if you had to move physically. Yeah. Pa- oh. Paying for a U-Haul, paying for yeah. packing, like moving boxes. Even what if you have a few friends at that school that are affirming and that's your only safe space? Yeah. Do you have the mental, um, the mental capacity and energy and ability? Because uh, a lot of the times folks who are in these schools are already so feeling so mentally fragile. Like I know I was so mentally fragile while I was at my school because I was so exhausted. I was so traumatized. Yeah. I wouldn't have survived a change like that. And I mean that quite literally. Yeah. I was having suicide attempts on like a biweekly basis. I would not have survived that big of a life change. Right. And so we're, it's not as easy as people. It's not like just you sign a paper and boom, you get out of this abusive situation. That's not how that works. No. And, and so to get, to get even more, um, real about this. So when we talk about suicidal ideation and things like that, we're going to have to put a timestamp on this one. There was a student, a queer student at Redeemer university that, that it's really hard to talk about, but they, they did commit suicide in the counseling office. And they warned the counseling office, you know, don't let this happen to another student. So if, if people listening to this or if people are wondering, why should I give a shit about the queer kid at a Christian college? That is exactly why, because yeah. that is what will continue to happen to our communities when they are forced to be in these harmful I mean, just toxic, awful, deadly, (laughs) thank you, deadly situations. Because I think, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about how when we reach that age of like 18, 19 or whatever, how much pre-programming we've had from, Mm -hmm. you know, either previous religious education or the church. Right. And we are already so set back and knowing the things we should look out for, the things we should ask for, the things we should demand for our safety, for our bodies, for our, like, for us to live. Um, we're, we're deprived of those things. We are, we, we are deprived of those things. Um, and that's why it's so dangerous. And it's it. The thing too is to me, um, if you are a religious person who preaches homophobia and calls it theology, if if your priority is sin management, which is by the way, fantastic term, over trying to prevent suicide um i don't know how to help you at that point (laughs) because that's to to me that that just shows a a genuine ethical deficit in who you are as a human 
Absolutely. Like, to me, that's a that's a deep, deep rooted like character flaw <laughs> and yeah. an ethical flaw where it's like, I don't really know how to help you there. I don't know how to to explain this anymore to you because you should care. Like that that's just the that's 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 the end point. You should care. And if you don't, I don't really know how to explain it to you because if if your stupid theology is more important than a teenage person's life who's just trying to figure life out and not not hate themselves. Yeah. That should be a priority. Um and your what you think is sin and what you don't think is sin should not should not be a greater priority. It just shouldn't. Exactly. Um, and I think that there's so many situations where people feel so alone because they have because these environments have isolated them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of people who will say, Oh, I feel so alone. And people say, Oh, you're not alone. And it's like, well, but their, their communities and their religion have isolated them. So yeah. they, they probably feel like this. They're the only person who this has ever happened to because you don't have the same access to, to education and to communities. And honestly, even to like the internet, <laughs> like sometimes you don't have the same access to simple resources that you right. could do to research. Um, and and I want to I, I want to chime in there really quick. Yeah. Um. I I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but no, please do. A, a lot of times, what these schools will do is actually on their interwebs, like block resources on from their like Wi-Fi channel. So if you're using like on-campus Wi-Fi or oh, yeah. whatever systems they have, mm-hmm. they like you can't access our website, for instance, or other other resources. You know, just on yep. the internet. Yep. I only know that because you can't watch porn. <laughs> so I always had to hop off the school's Wi-Fi if I was going to watch porn. <laughs> I love it. Um, but no, you're totally right. And it's one of those things too, where this is, we're getting even deeper into like the intersectionality of it all. But like, let's, let's take that for example. Let's say you're trying to find resources and you can't use the Wi-Fi partially because it's blocked. Also partially because they can track what you're searching, by the way. Yeah, like if sure. you search for porn on the campus Wi-Fi, they can tell it came from you. Yeah. <laughs> so like that alone, you could potentially get kicked out for that. If you're looking up abortion management, you can get kicked out for that. Like there are, so there's that. Now let's go even deeper and let's say, okay, I know I need to turn off my Wi-Fi if I need to search something. Maybe you don't have a lot of individual funds to support unlimited data on your mobile plan. Like it goes even deeper where it's like, maybe you, there's so many obstacles that can prevent people from getting the resources that they need. Um, I get so many comments, so many comments when I will talk about things that I have unlearned as an adult Yeah, of the rib thing, Columbine, like not knowing what a vulva was, like all these things that I learned as an adult, I've gotten so many comments of like, you guys are so fucking stupid. Use Google. And there's such a um, massive misunderstanding and ignorance when it comes to the actual level of control that is involved in these environments. And then people have the audacity to be offended when I call it a cult. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know. And I used to be so hesitant to call like these types of environments, cults on the podcast. Cause I'd get so many people that would get pissed off, but I just kept saying things like, well, it's similar to it mirrors cult practices. It's a little culty. And it's like, no, at the end of the day, 
Um, I was listening to, and I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but I was listening to a survivor of um, the Nexium cult mm-hmm. speak on a podcast. Um, I think her name is Sarah. And she was talking about her experience. And she was saying, um, if you look at what makes a cult a cult and you compare that to American evangelical Christianity, there is a significant amount of crossover. Yeah. And she said, the way that I look for cult red flags is, um, for one, are they asking for a portion of your income? And she said, because 10% of your income is incredibly culty. And then she <laughs> said, if you leave, is there smoke? Because when there's smoke, there's fire. Yep. And she explained that if you leave this environment and you get chastised or ostracized or bullied oh, yeah. or harassed or shamed, that is like a telltale sign of something being a cult because that shame is yeah. what's supposed to keep you in it. And that fear of abandonment, that fear of being ostracized. And so you have all these things. And at the very core of it, like, in my opinion, the public and the society's misunderstanding of what this is, Mm -hmm. is just like society's misunderstanding of what abuse is. It's the same thing as saying to like a woman who's in an abusive marriage, why can't you just leave? There's just a fundamental misunderstanding of like what that means and what you, the resources you need in order to escape the danger that comes with escaping the mental chains, the Stockholm syndrome kind of aspect. Like there's just a a greater misunderstanding of it. And I don't think that like my podcast is going to eradicate that misunderstanding from society. Right. But it's just kind of one of those things where you have people. And I actually just looked up the Trevor project stats for suicide. And like, according to the Trevor project, LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to commit suicide than their peers. And that's from a literal like peer reviewed study. They have yep. the, all of the resources there and suicide is the second leading, leading cause of death among young people aged 10 to 24 and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth are significantly increased or at significantly increased risk. Yeah. Um, and this one is heavy. The Trevor Project estimates that more than 1.8 million LGBTQ youth, 13 to 24, seriously consider suicide every year in the U.S. and at least one attempt suicide every 45 seconds. Mm. And yet we're still questioning about, like, you guys have the audacity to call this trauma? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, we do. It's killing people. It's, it's. (laughs) Yeah. I had someone tell me once that I didn't have the right to call myself a survivor because I wasn't at risk of dying. Oh my God. And I think there's just a fundamental misunderstanding of how mental health and isolation and shame ruins people's lives. Yeah. Truly. Like truly ruins people's lives and takes people's lives. It does. It's not just a funny little hee hee ha ha thing. And I think that with the greater mental health conversation that's happened in the last like six years, mm-hmm. there's been this thing where people think, well, not everyone can have trauma. And it's like, well, <laughs> the world's a pretty fucked yes, up place. People, <laughs> a lot of people have trauma. And I think that yeah. there's a lot of gatekeeping that happens, especially in like the, especially since religious trauma has become a more used term. There's this gatekeeping of like people. I don't know, a lot of Christian people thinking that it's just church hurt and you're just butt hurt or you're bitter or you're sad. Yeah. And we're talking about something much different. Yeah. Very different. You're right. Um, Do we want to, we're kind of approaching the end of our time here, but I want to, I do want to tackle these two points. Do you want to talk a little bit about first 
how Reap is taking action and the processes yeah. that you guys have and what you've got in place. I know you have a lot of really cool programs going on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Reap basically functions in three main categories. So there's our litigation, which it's most people who know about our work know about the Hunter lawsuit against the Department of Education. Um, so we do that work with our legal team that I am not on. <laughs> That's why I keep, you know, um, I can't do the legal question stuff or, uh, but so the second piece of that is we do campus organizing. I work directly with students on the ground. I help them navigate the world of the Christian college. I help them plan protests. I help them do direct action organizing, campus organizing, anything they need, basically, because each situation is so unique on these various campuses across the nation. Um, and students' needs are very different. Mm-hmm. We handle all of those things. And we help students on the ground right now. The third piece of what we do is public education and culture change. Mm. And obviously we do that through our social media, which is off like amazing. Our social media manager is so kick ass. Um, their name is Chloe and they're amazing. You should check out our social media. Like social media is great. Yeah. On Instagram. It's really cool. Um, And then we also are releasing a podcast next month, October 16th, called On God's Campus, where we uh, talk about FINA, like a lot of what we talked about, like the religious root or the root of white Christian supremacy being stemmed in religious education in America. Oh my God, I got chills all over my whole body. I'm so excited. No way. (laughs) It's going to be pretty intense and awesome. so yeah, folks can look out for that. It's called On God's Campus. It'll be releasing October 16th. And we are so excited about that particular part of education and mm-hmm. and also just pulling in our community, you know, finding, finding our folks. And um, yeah, so we're, we've got a lot of things going on, but those are the three main pieces of what REAP does. I love that. I'm a sucker for a podcast, obviously. <laughs> and like I said, that's something that doesn't get talked about. Like you guys really are the only organization that I see going in on it. Yeah. Besides the only other one that I've seen, which is I'm I'm sure um it, it's it's not a full organization, but the the on campus organizing at SPU has I've seen a lot of their content. Exactly. And those are really the only two accounts that I've seen talk about it and really center on it and focus on it and dive in. Yeah. Despite the fact that like every Christian, every like ex Christian kid that went to a Christian school that I know has trauma from it. And like no oh, yeah. one ever talks about it. <laughs> yeah. And and so Chloe, our social media manager, was one of the campus organizers at SPU. <laughs> well there you go. <laughs> so there's like a direct line of correlation yep. there. There you yeah, go. Yeah. We yeah, SPU has had some amazing campus organizing and activist moments in the last yeah. couple of years from those they students. they've been kicking ass too. It's really cool to see it. I mean, social media is a is a horrible thing for so many reasons, but it's also so cool for so yeah, many reasons. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I, I've, I've loved seeing, even seeing your guys's posts, because I think you do it in a really smart way. There are some accounts that have come out about like, um, 
you know, people telling their testimony kind of situations or their experiences. And I love that, but I love the way that you guys approach it because you come at it with receipts. And I think that there are times where it can be hard to be talking about things because you get so many people that are like push back on it. When you come at it with as many receipts as you guys come at it with, it's like, there's not really a lot of ways to be like, this is a lie. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, you come at it with too much, too much backup. (laughs) Yeah, we do. (laughs) The evidence is there. Yeah. Yeah. The evidence is there. We do show our receipts. Um, and it's, yeah. So if you're interested in checking it out, the, our Instagram is pretty much where it's at. Like we've, yeah, yeah. We cite our sources, Mm -hmm. we do the work, you know, it's all there. Mm -hmm. So what would you say? Cause this is what I want to end on. If we've got a student listening that's experiencing this type of discrimination or honestly, is just discouraged and maybe doesn't want to take action. And that feels scary because it can be really nerve wracking to take action and feel like there's a chance you could be retaliated against, or there's a chance that this could impact you financially or educationally. Like that can be really scary. Um, what would you say to students that are just maybe just need some support and then also students that want to take action? Yeah. So to the student who needs support, um, you have more power than you realize you have. You have a lot of power. Um, it may not feel that way, but the school, those kinds of schools are very often afraid of queer folks like us and especially reap. <laughs> so there is power in that um, ability to like, if you can move past maybe this, you know, maybe I'll get disciplined or, you know, whatever. There is power in using your voice and using your story and using um, your ability to find community in on campus and around campus. And I will say that REAP will help you do that. We will help you find community on or near your campus so that you are not alone because that is that is detrimental to our survival in these spaces is finding our people. Um, so that, that I would say as a note of encouragement and of always you are loved, you are worthy, you are valued, you are so critical, um, to this whole broader movement of queer folks existing in religious spaces in the first place. Um, and for the student who wants to take action, hit me up. I'm ready. I'm ready to do whatever you need to do. If it's a protest, a petition, you know, anything like that, um, we are ready to help you. And um, that's all what I spend a majority of my time doing is helping students on the ground who need, who want to mobilize and want to do something. And sometimes it's just two people. Sometimes it's just two people that I'm talking to who want to fuck shit up on their campus. And we will help you do that. So yeah, just find us on, you know, www.thereap.org. And that's how you get in touch with us. And especially on our socials on Instagram, we will DM you back. If it's not something weird or cringy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and with that being said, like y'all, we were just talking about this at the beginning of the episode, but people can send in essentially tips, right? Of like, different discrimination that's happening at their school. 
Yes. Um, we get a lot of incidents where students are informing us of things that have happened to them on their campus. It happens all the time. We're right in the beginning of the school year-ish. Um, so a lot of that is starting to roll in now. So, but definitely let us know if there are incidents happening on your campus, let us know. And also I would recommend if you need to file a Title IX complaint, we have directions on how to do that on our website. Oh, cool. And uh, I would highly recommend not going through a Title IX coordinator on campus. No. But through going through the gov- the government website, you know, the um, Office of Civil Rights. Yeah. Title IX coordinators on campus are employed by the school. Got it. Right there. <laughs> and my Title IX coordinator was the one who uh, oversaw my investigation and she fucked it up. And I actually set a meeting with her two years after and had a three-page document saying, hey, I'm two years out of this investigation. Here are all the ways that you guys fucked up and ruined my mental health. Fix it. Yep. <laughs> because they they are not... And they also don't tell you that, just as a heads up. Like, if you go to report an assault, mm-hmm. even, uh, you will be directed to your Title IX coordinator. That is who you're going to be directed to. Um, I initially tried to report it to, like, our campus development person, and they just directly directed me to Title IX. Yeah. And so, just as a heads up, they're not going to tell you that this person is employed by the school. They will not tell you that this is someone who... It's, it's kind of similar to, like... If you view HR as like a corporate company and you're thinking like HR's for me, they're for me. They are they work for the company. Like they're, <laughs> they're there for to the protect company. the company. Yeah. And so it's the same kind of thing where like right. yes, Title IX coordinators have certain laws that they have to follow, but they are at the end of the day, they are employed by the the, the university and they're there to honestly like mitigate scandals and pushback and bad press for the university. So Take that, like, take their words, and this is just personal advice from literally going through an investigation. Like, take their words with the grain of salt. Absolutely, because <laughs> they're not they're not there to protect you in the way that it, it is initially presented to you, especially for private schools. Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it. So that that would be my advice for you know if a student needed to file a Title IX complaint for whatever reason. There's the resources on our website, but also avoid the Title IX coordinator on campus. Yeah, no, that's fantastic advice. And I've actually never talked about that before, but that's really good advice because I, I, like, I had no idea that my talent so coordinator was not yeah. there as just like my buddy. <laughs> like, right. I thought she was there for me. And funny enough, like this is not to shit on. I'm not trying to insinuate that all talent coordinators like bad, scary people that are trying to like manipulate and harm yeah. you, but they are in a position where they see a lot of trauma and they are trained to be warm and comforting and safe even if they're not actually safe people for you so it it can make it feel like you're in an environment where you are protected even if you are not so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind and be aware of that um well Holy shit. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> of course. Thanks for having me. I I'm had a great so time. Glad. I'm so glad you were able to come on. I apologize if I rambled too much. I was more you passionate not, about this I'm, topic than I thought I was going to be. <laughs> it's so important. Your story and your experience really does kind of set the tone, I think, for a lot of this, for so many, so many of us yeah. who move through this system 
of education, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and trauma. So it was very helpful actually for the overall, you know, conversation that we had. I'm glad. Well, I will yeah. say one more thing in terms of the safety, I guess. Um, I would just recommend uh, to be aware of being, how do I want to phrase this? Be aware of how you phrase things on social media when you're talking shit about your school. (laughs) Absolutely. Because there are defamation lawsuits that can come out of that. Um, Depending on how aggressive your university is, there's a chance they can come after you. So just be smart about that. Um, I mean, I talk about my university all the fucking time on this podcast. I just don't name them. I don't name the city. And I just am careful about the way that I phrase things. And if you do want to name them publicly and really go after them, maybe seek some advice from people. Um, I don't know, maybe even reap if you guys are able to like give advice on that. I don't know if we could. I, I, cause that's actually something I've never, um, thought about or have had a student. Well, there have been incidences where students have been disciplined for things they've posted on social media mm-hmm. about their schools. So that's your, what you're saying is very true. So this is definitely something I'll go back with, you know, Chloe, our social media manager, and like, maybe we can come up with a blog for this, like a how to yeah, yeah. kind of guide. Just, just safety wise. Yeah, Cause safety. I, we were talking about this before the episode started, but like, I was really eager and aggro when I first started talking about my school and my experience on my, like on my personal accounts. Oh yeah. And I was still attending the school and it got back to administration and there was some weird rumblings of talk that there was a chance that my degree was going to be withheld. So be, be, um, I guess just like, not even like cautious necessarily, just be like, aware that there are some, some pushbacks that if you are not in a space where you are prepared to take, um, to have this potentially impact your finances or your education, like just be aware of kind of what you're stepping into. If you want to name people publicly, um, it's the same thing. I always give advice to people who are going to report their assaulters. It's like, yeah, just be aware, be aware of what you're stepping into. Maybe do some research on the pushback that could occur just so that you're prepared and you are, um, you know what you're kind of like giving consent to, I guess. I don't know. Like, you know, you know what you're stepping into. You're not surprised by the potential outcome. Just be aware. And there's, I'm sure that there are resources um, and maybe connect with Reap and if they are able to provide resources, but I'm sure there are resources of, um, even if you have like a friend's parent, who's a lawyer, like check it, you know what I mean? (laughs) Just like, just try to see if if you can get any advice on like how to approach that. Cause I didn't. And it almost cost me, a hundred thousand dollars. There you <laughs> so go. Like, yeah. Be careful. Um, but all that to say, thank you so much for coming on. I will plug the shit out of that podcast. <laughs> um, and for anyone else who's listening, do you want to just ramble off like uh social media handles and everything where people can find yeah. you and reap? Sure. So reap is um reap underscore LGBTQ on all the socials. Um I am mine is so long. I am underscore running errands underscore on Instagram and at Aaron Greenbean on Twitter, even though it's a shit show, but I'm still <laughs> on there. And then I already plugged our website, but www.thereap.org. It's a great place for resources and to just get connected to us. 
Yes, and it's running errands spelled E-R-I-N-S. Correct? Yes, thank you. <laughs> By the way, so cute. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I will link all of that. I will plug all of it. Um, I love what you guys are doing. I'm so thankful thank you. as an alumni of a incredibly discriminatory school. I'm so thankful yeah. that there are people who are talking about it. There are that you guys have created a safe space for people because so many of my friends who were really scared, queer closeted people in college who were just yeah. terrified of trying to protect themselves and felt really alone and really discouraged. I'm so glad that there are organizations out there and that reap is out there to provide that safe space for people. Cause it's so needed. Um, and literally you're welcome back on anytime. I feel Amazing. like I'm for hours. <laughs> I love it. I thank you so much for having me. I'm just so grateful for you and all the things you talk about. It's so needed in our communities. So I'm just grateful for you, grateful for this podcast and really happy to be here. Thank you. Well, like I said, I will plug the shit out of Reap. Thanks. And um, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and leave us a review. You can also follow the podcast at Mindful Minds Pod on Instagram and TikTok and online at mindfulmindspod.com. And um, you can also join our Facebook group that just launched and that will stay launched. And then keep your eyes open for the sticker collection. And as always, to end our time, and clench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a mindful way. I will see you guys next week.